T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. WGR. Here's the American dream. Dusty Rhodes and Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. Sports Radio 550. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Sports Talk Saturday. No respect. No honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work. They got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years. 30 years, they give him a watch, kick him in the butt, and say, hey, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard time. Want to talk to the guys on Sports Talk Saturday? Call or text us now. You put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Well, good morning, folks, and welcome to Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary here. Corey Griswold doing the things behind the board and the window, and we've got sports, we've got talking, and it is Saturday. So bringing it all together for uh, another just beautiful spring morning. Uh, I think we have turned the corner on the weather, I think, uh, or at least it seems like we have, uh, as I've been golfing uh, a lot uh, in, the, in the evenings. Here's the greatest part about this time of year, like 8.45, 9 o'clock. I was basically getting off the golf course at that time, which is just a great, it's like gets a little chilly. I The one complaint I do have, though, I don't know if you've noticed this, Corey. It's been windy every day. Like, there just hasn't been a day where I've walked outside, especially as a downtowner and where I am on Main Street and kind of Pearl where there's like a, an active wind tunnel yeah. happening. Mm-hmm. Um, as I would just like to go out in a golf course and have like a day where I don't, have to worry about like a ten, a steady ten mile. Per yeah, hour. where you're not doing calculus in your head to figure out where the ball's going to go. That and just you know, like I would like to. I, I have poor circulation. I get cold very quickly. Mm-hmm. I'm cold right now in the studio. <laughs> my my fingers are frozen, and here I am drinking a a cold brew coffee like a real basic. Yep, you're doing it right. But um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it's 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 kind of like that perfect time of year where you're getting the. My preferable temperatures, which is like low 70s, high 60s, yes, or as uh, the holy temperature of 69 degrees. It was really doing it right yesterday. Yesterday, it got up to about 60 or 70 or something like that in the daytime, and then at night, it got back down into like which is like 50s. Perfect for sleeping, yeah, but perfect in the, af- in the afternoon, hanging out you outside. Get, yeah. You can still like stand outside, 
and if you're wearing a sweatshirt or a hoodie, you don't feel terrible. Like it was, yeah, it was a, a great weather day all around. A lot of porch beer weather. We've had a lot horizon. of rain too. Real yeah. dad hours on the radio eight oh three oh five fifty. Saturdays are for dads and dad's car. That's right. It was. That's right. And don't forget the lawnmowers. Correct. It was. Um, so, and I, I want to say last year we did not have that. Last year was it was an extremely dry spring. Yes, going it was. Into a dry summer. So it's nice to see um, the trees really. The grasses dry. are green. It's extremely green outside. Buffalo's a. Listen, I know Buffalo has a reputation. It sure does. Among people, and especially people who travel into the city and only see the city from the 33 coming mm-hmm. in from the airport. But, like, even in any neighborhood in the city, it's gorgeous in the spring and summer when the trees are blooming. Because it's a, it's a city that put a lot of trees in. A lot of trees. Yep. A lot of greenscape. You can uh, fu- Delaware Park. Absolutely. Like, and, and, you know, the Olmstead Park system was great. We uh, plowed through it with a highway. Maybe they'll fix that soon. Soon. Maybe. Right. Okay. But, like, there's a lot of green even in the city. And, and the city looks good. It doesn't look good in fall and winter. It, especially winter. But spring, beginning of summer, the city of Buffalo is kind of like. Really it's, pops. It's, it's, it's peaking. Yes. As the kids would say. Um, yeah. So I've got a full schedule, as mentioned, to. Uh, to the Twitter folk when I uh, had tweeted it out. I've got kind of a great little lineup here today. We're going to talk a little Sabres here early on. I, I think it's I think it's appropriate. I think they're, it's been a kind of a tough week. And so Joe Yurden is about to join me here in about a minute or two on the Western Hotline. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Don Granado, what the Sabres should do there at head coach. Thad Brown, uh, he's going to join me at 1130. And if you don't know Thad, he's up in Rochester. He's the sports director for WROC-TV and RochesterFirst.com. So we'll talk to Thad about the Bills' schedule. Maybe we'll get into some of the AFC East as well and get his thoughts on uh, on everything Bills. Mike Tanier, uh, Football Outsiders, New York Times, and Fan Sided. He joins me at noon. We'll kind of talk about some Aaron Rodgers stuff because I think this is really getting into the most interesting part of the season with uh, with Aaron Rodgers and everything going on in Green Bay right now. So Mike Tanier joins at noon, 1230. Bruce Nolan will join me. We'll kind of shift gears back into football, talk a little bit more about the Bills, rookie training camp. That's kicking off this week. We'll also preview a podcast that uh, we are recording on Wednesday that I'm excited to, uh, to do with Bruce. So we'll, uh, we'll preview that as well. And then at 1 o'clock, uh, my buddy uh, Pete Jensen of NHL Network, he's going to join us uh, at 1 o'clock. We'll kind of look at the NHL playoffs. We'll kind of get a diagnosis from the national outlook of the crap show that is had and has been the Sabres for the better part of, I don't know, a decade at this point. But anyways, let's go to the West Her Hotline now because my man Joe Yurden joins me. And Joe, it's been a while since I've had you on. Um it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for making time for me on this beautiful Saturday morning. Uh, I'm excited to have you. How are you, my friend? Doing well, doing well, Nate. It's uh, it's always fun to be to be on talking with you, and uh, be be more fun if there was fun hockey to talk about. But hey, yeah, yeah, I, I would say that that's right. But you know, at the same time, um, anytime you have an opportunity to sort of you know rip a scab off and see whether or not uh, it can grow back in a in some sort of meaningful way without scar tissue showing up, I think we've got <laughs> something. You know, we we we've got something to work with here, Joe. And I think. You know, the I, I was just saying this to a friend last night, and I was like, hey, man, you know, last time we saw each other, because every time I see my buddy, we always kind of end up talking about the Sabres. I don't know why, uh, but we do. And so we were talking about the Sabres last night when we were out having a couple of pops, and I said, you know, last time we saw each other, I felt like things were really looking up the end of the season. Uh, we're, we're watching Casey Middlestad, we're watching Tage Thompson and Asplund, that line, and we're watching the young guys and cousins and 
it just seemed like the attitude, um, it seemed like even some of the outside voices had started moving in more of a positive direction. And then the end of season press conferences happened, and it sort of felt like we moved right back into the same sort of feelings we had during that whatever it ended up being, 17, 18, whatever, game losing streak. It almost felt as sort of negative and dark as that. And I'm wondering sort of just when when you think about the roller coaster that was this season, how do you put into perspective what we heard from it felt like three very different days, right, Joe? Like day one yeah. was holy crap, this is bad. Day two is, well the young guys, they're making me feel better. And then day three was, well I like the coach, but the GM's really worrying me here. So like put into perspective sort of the roller coaster that was the three days of press conferences and, and kind of how it maybe coincided with the season and, and kind of how it was an emotional roller coaster there as well. Yeah, the, the way the, the, the way the three day the press junket seemed to turn out was uh, was almost a mirror image of the season where uh, everything everything was bad <laughs> to start off. You like you know, you get your first couple of interviews and you're like, Okay, all right, well that sounds a little dire and then you get to the end and you get to Jack and you're like, Oh boy, okay. Yeah, this is not good. This is really, this is really not good. And then you know, you get you, you get your look at the young guys, which is wild to me that that guys like Casey and Tage are the young guys compared to old man Jack Eichel at 20, <laughs> 24 years old. <laughs> but I mean, it, I, I guess hard times can age a person, so that that's fair. But um, but it's you know you, you get some you get some boost out of those guys because those guys all needed a lift. Like they they all had to play better this season and. And Don Granado was able to find ways to, to to do that for them, so that's that's a huge boost. And you know what the 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 final day? I mean, Don's Don's end of season meeting was was basically him interviewing for his job, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and him stating his case that yeah, I, I I belong here. This this job should be mine. And you know he understands. You know the situation's definitely different because there's a lot of candidates out there. There's a lot of available coaches and a lot of there's going to be a lot of voices. <clears throat> to you know to sort through and you know when it comes to kevin adams i mean geez uh, talk about everything he's he's had to 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 get a handle on this whole year um from from the moment he was hired to to right now it's a lot it's a lot for a guy in the, in the first year of a job and a guy with a limited staff i mean yeah he's, it's nice that he's got carmanos with him now but goodness gracious yeah. that's just so much so much to try to get a handle on and with with all the problems that have come up and, and all the problems that he's staring at right now man i i mean there there are gms that that have been around for 20 years that that would probably look at this and go okay all right this is this is rough so um trying to find the the glimmers of hope here yeah it's you know i'm i'm, I'm happy that those that, that guys like asplin and middlestad and and them had had a nice season and a nice bounce back for them because they had to i mean if they didn't I mean, it, things would be even more dire because then you're looking at, boy, you can just blow it up and and probably just move on and, and be okay with it because you're just like, boy, we got nothing. We got nothing here if Jack and Sam go. So, um, so I mean, this is, you know, it, it's it's good. It's good for Don. I mean, Don made his case. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the way the team played down the stretch. I mean, would have been harder. It would have been really hard to do worse than than Ralph did. I mean, I don't know how you do worse than losing 18 in a row, but. Um, it would have been very difficult for him to do worse than that, but you know he got something out of these guys. He had them playing loose. He had them playing free, and that's good. That's a that's a really good thing because these guys needed it. So 
Um, you know, if they I, if they decide to to stick with him, I, you know, it, it's good from a development aspect. I do wonder though if he's if he would be the right call if you know if they're able to patch things up and and get the get this crew back together and make an honest to goodness run. And I think it sort of leads me into something that I, I that stuck out to me anyways, or, or, or really stood out. There was a couple of things, uh, a couple of aspects of, of Adam's press conference and some of the things that he said that stood out to me. And, and I say the first one really being the term buy-in that he mentioned, talking about the talent on the team versus the buy-in. And, and I think the guy that stands out to me here is Taylor Hall, because Taylor Hall comes here in a one-year deal, um, a prove-it deal in a contract year, and you can't really get anything out of him. And now, granted, there was some really bad luck at play with Taylor Hall. I mean, yeah. just un- a lot of decent scoring chances. I mean, he takes a puck to the face. He just had sort of a, 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 just a run of really bad luck here in Buffalo. And, you know, I think it's it was probably well known that he really liked Ralph Kruger. It was interesting to hear a lot of the feedback you heard. I guess it wasn't really interesting. I think it was, we all knew that the team and the players really liked Ralph Kruger as a person. But... It's I, I, the disconnect on on how he is viewed amongst those players, and then the term buy-in being there, and thinking to yourself, okay, well, how could you like a guy as much as as these players claim to have liked Ralph while he was here, but not be able to buy into what he was trying to do, and whether or not, the, if it, let's just let's just pretend, Joe, that the team quote unquote bought into the system is does that mm-hmm. do we see a different brand of hockey? Are we seeing a different product in the ice if there's quote buy-in from that team, or was this strictly the system was bad? It's not a modern day NHL system, especially a system that can really highlight the skill set of the younger roster that they had, particularly Rasmus Dahlin, who is a by the way different hockey player since sort of being <laughs> let loose in this Granado system, which is a little more free, just a little free uh, freewheeling kind of system, but. I guess the question here is, buy-in, what does that mean when you consider that you need buy-in from the top guys, and if you're not getting it, where are you? Yeah, the the buy-in for Ralph was, uh, I, I mean, it, it changed, I think, with the whole Skinner situation. Um, I, think that's, I think that's the point when he really lost a lot of the guys in the room because it's like, listen, this guy's doing his best. <laughs> you know, you're, you're saddling him with a couple of our worst players. And he's still generating these opportunities. And yeah, he's not scoring, but literally nobody on the team is. And if you're going to punish him for that, well, you got to punish Jack. You got to punish Taylor Hall. You got to, pu- you know, you, you, you got to do that. And instead, it just seemed to be, you know, screw Jeff. Uh, we're benching him. And it was just like, okay, that's the way it's got to be, man. Like, uh, I, I guess, but that doesn't seem very fair. I mean, if it's to send a message, well, the message wasn't received. And, you know, that, that kills your chance of getting a buy-in. But you're right about his system. Uh, his system, I mean, if you use that system in international play with, with you, know, say, you know, say coaching Switzerland, that's the perfect system for that because you don't have the amount of talent. You don't have the superstars. You don't have the guys to be able to, to run and execute it. And for football guys, Joe, it's like running triple mm-hmm. option. Right, it's like it's like Army and Navy and Air Force. They don't get the recruits that Clemson and Alabama get. The size of their offensive linemen are smaller. So how you stay in games is you control the ball, try to mm-hmm. have long, sustained 15, 20, 30 play drives, run the football, dr- run the clock out, and hope you can keep a close game. Right? I mean, like that. That's the football equivalent of what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's it, it's. You know, it's not as fun as like a single wing, even though a sing, you know, like a single <laughs> wing is, is gonna is gonna you know you, you run out an air force or, yes. or a navy offense. Like you're not you're not you're, you're not running that 
even that exorbitant of an offense out there. You're just still you're trying to grind it down. You're trying to wear the other team down. You want to keep the you want to keep the score as low as possible. And you know that's that was something that just didn't it doesn't fly in the NHL right now. At least not the way when it's played like that. I mean, if you play it like if you play the way the Islanders do, yeah, you can have a lot of success doing that. But the Islanders do a ton of other things that that are better than that. But um, but in Ralph's case, like that that NH, that style in the NHL just doesn't work. Like it just it doesn't fly when you're asking your defenseman to to hold the line at at your you know in the offensive zone, stop at the blue line. Don't don't go in deep. Just let the forwards handle the offense. Like you can't you cannot play that way in the NHL now. You have to have your defenseman involved. Like you have to you have to be able to play off the rush. You have to be able to do these things. And that was an easy switch for for Granato to flip there because it's just kind of like all right listen we're going to do things a little bit more modern here <laughs> you know like you know Darlene, if you're carrying the puck in go in deep i don't care like, don't, don't slam on the brakes of the blue line and, and take a bad shot like let's try to get better shots um so like that from that side of things like it's, it's hard to get a buy-in when you're when you're basically playing rod hockey uh with, with pros because you know th- these guys have different skills they have different abilities and, and, and ways to get to get the puck and to get to the and to get to the net and if you're just saying like, no, my system is better than your skills. I mean, you, you got to prove it, <laughs> you know, and if you're going against the skills of your players, then you're just doing yourself at the service. And I think that was a big part of why things struggled here. Uh, you know, certainly this season, because, you know, the, the you know, a, the buy-in's not there because you don't believe in it because you're, you're doing all these things where you, you're, you're asking guys to go against what they you know what they're really good at and that that just does not fly in the nhl and you know what when you get predictable nhl teams can just watch a little bit of video and figure it out and defending against a team that's that predictable it's it it makes it elementary and that's that that's what i think they really ran into so i guess the follow-up question and and maybe this is just as simple as saying they liked ralph the human but i guess how could you how could how could guys like Jack Eichel, who at this point is a respected top 10, top 15 type player in the league, Taylor Hall mm-hmm. isn't maybe that anymore, but is a guy around the league, people are like, I, Taylor Hall's Taylor Hall, okay, he's, he's the name that carries weight. How can you then, and uh, Sam Reinhart said the same thing, off, coming off the best season of his career, but most of that damage came under the, the, the coaching change. I guess, I guess my follow-up question, Joe, is how can you actively talk the way you do about liking Ralph Kruger as a person, saying, like, I wanted to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. That's what Jack Eichel said about Ralph Kruger while he's actively basically setting you up for failure in your profession. And I think about it, I've had a lot of great bosses that weren't particularly good at their job, but it's Mm -hmm. not like they made some sort of impact on me personally where I was able to overlook what they were doing to hurt me in my profession, you know? And I guess it's it's a very confusing relationship um, hearing the team talk about Ralph the way that they did while looking at how they responded to him as a coach. There was Mm -hmm. such a disconnect between their respect for him as a coach and their respect for him as a person and like a leader. And I guess my question there is what the hell, you know, like, I, I guess, how can you have both? How can you have both of those things? Well, I, I, I think that boils down to like what, you know, some of the other stuff that we've, we've gotten, we got to know about Ralph um, personally, you know, him, him as, you know, the, you know, the great speaker, him, you know, which I mean, he is, let's, let's face it. You know, there, there. How many press conferences did we watch where he won the press conference? Pretty good number of them, at least. You know, before before the end times came, 
you know, where you're just kind of like, wow, okay, I could listen to that guy talk forever. And him as a person, like, he's so affable. He's so, you know, he's so easy to get along with and everything. And, you know, I think the thing we forget about guys in hockey is that for a lot of them, it, it is really just business. And, you know, you can, you can have somebody where it's, you know, if you go out and you, you're having a, you know, if you have a bad game or whatever, I mean, guys like Jack and Sam, they, they still produce well. They still played well personally even though the team wasn't having success. But, like, that's not an affront to them. You know, you know the, the way Ralph coached the team, that's not an affront to them personally, even though, you know, the team success was lacking. Like, him as a person, you can, you can divest the two. And I get what you're saying, Nate, because believe me, there, there's been, you know, I think we've all been there in those kinds of situations where, you know, somebody might be really good, but if they're bad for, bad for you at, their jo- at your job, you're just like, geez, this, this guy's a letdown. I don't, know if I, could, I, I don't know if I could really hang out with them. But, you know, I think it's a little bit different when, you know, you, you're, you've piled up millions of dollars and you, you've already achieved a lot. I mean, it's, yeah. you've achieved a lot. You haven't, you know, you haven't hit the, you know, the, the, the heights of it. But you, you, can, you can divest from that. Like, there, you know, guys loved Phil Housley, too. Like, they loved and respected Phil Housley. But, you know, ultimately, when, the, you know, if, if you're coaching a system that you don't, you know, that, that isn't working and you don't buy into it, like, it's easy to tune it out. And you're just kind of like, all right, like, it's what he wants. We're going to do it, but uh, stinks. <laughs> but we still like the guy. You know, we'll still go play golf with him. We'll still, you know, we'll still, you know, shoot the breeze with him. Like that's that that's a whole that's like a whole different world to some of these guys. Like to to take it personally, what what happens with a coach? I mean, you got to go back to what happened with Dan Bilesma, where you know, the, you know, Bilesma just didn't do anything that those guys liked, and they couldn't wait for him to leave. Yeah, it is interesting to sort of see the and that's I guess that's the confusing part, right? Is is thinking about how this team sort of responded to Bilesma, who, you know, frankly wasn't really setting them up for success on the ice. But I guess they're, you know, kind of looking back at that whole situation, there were numerous times where people talked about, you know, his really inability to communicate and connect with the players. And I think that's really where Ralph probably came in um and and sort of brought that. And I and I wonder this is a good transition point getting into Don Granado because I think with Don I think he brings a little bit of both. Maybe not the same level of personal connection and and potential, you know, sort of like an enigma or, or just sort of that that being in the locker room. But I think his system, along with his ability to connect with younger players and his experience in USA Hockey and 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 coaching for other really successful organizations. And and I wonder what you think about his time, quote unquote, because I think right now, you know, his story is unbelievable too. By the way, I, I, just everything about Don really speaks to. It sort of feels like the Pagulas may have kind of fallen into something here um Mm -hmm. and and it would be a shame to me that they look internally and they say something along the lines of well listen you know i we really it's not don that we don't like it's it's where we are as an organization where we don't really have the luxury of trying Don out for a full-time basis. And we need someone that we know can come in that's regimented, that has a system that works, that is respected by players. So let's go get John Tortorella or let's go get Bruce Boudreaux or like Quinn, right? Like that's another name that I think your, your point about there maybe being more head coaching candidates on the market than Definitely the last few times the Sabres have been up to bat, um, mm-hmm. I think makes for this decision ultimately really interesting. But I look at Granado, Joe, and I say to myself, this really strikes me as a guy that gets it, that 
isn't a, you know, my way or highway type of guy and can be malleable with his system, but depending on the types of players he has. And I just feel like he's the perfect fit, and it almost worries me that the timing of this makes it harder for the Pagoulas to buy in, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, they're at, the, the Sabres are at a crossroads here. Um, I think the, the, the next direction of, of where this franchise goes hinges on how things play out this summer with, with how they put together the roster. Um, you know, depending on what happens with Jack and Sam and, and Olmark and, you know, all those guys where you're just like, you know, you, you're talking about a radical change if you're, if you're watching those guys go. And I think that's where picking a coach comes in. You almost have to get that settled out. First. You have to get the players settled out first before you settle on a coach. Uh, because if you're bringing Don, you know, if you, if you tell Don, okay, you're our guy, you're coming in, um, let's, you know, let's do this. You know, we're giving you two or three years, like, let's go, let's, let's make this work. And if you're keeping, you know, if you're, if you find a way to, to, to cool the waters with, with Jack and Sam and those guys, and you get them to buy in long-term, is Don the right guy to, to make it work with those guys? I mean, obviously he's made it work with Sam, um, but we don't know how it works with Jack, you know, like that's, you know, and that's, that's a huge key because he's your best player. If he, if he stays, that's a, that's a huge thing you've got to get figured out. And I'm not saying like, you have to ask Jack, okay, what coach do you want? Like that's, that's not how you do it, but you got to get somebody who's going to be able to you, that you trust to be able to lean into what makes him go and what makes him work best and, and find the guys to play with him that, that make it, make it the optimal combination. I think that's, you know, between that and you know the style and and how they want to run a power play and all that, that all comes in huge, and that's where I think you have to you have to try to do your best to compare, and it's real. I mean, that's where that's where Don's at a disadvantage because you know he's coaching a team that was just you know they were done. By the time he was hired, they were already out of you know out of a playoff race. They're you know they're non-factor, and you're just kind of co- you know coasting them into the end of the year. But he did well with it. Uh, but if, I think if you're at a point where you're trading Jack and Sam and saying like, okay, we're we're going to start over again here, yeah, the fans are going to hate it. But I think if you've got Don in that spot to kind of guide the ship and grow with that team, I think that's an even better spot. I think that's that that that's where you you would start seeing you know the, the Lindy Ruff comparison mm. and whatnot. Um, I think that's where you, you start saying like, okay, like this guy's going to be able to mold this young team and his. Hit you know the way he wants to and the way he wants to get it done, and you kind of cool things off and you hit a reset on the clock because you know, you, you can yell about you know ten eleven years out of the playoffs and say well it's okay because we you know th- this team needed a whole new restart and that's where that's where I think you're you're much cooler and calmer and happier with Don in that spot. But if you keep Jack and you keep Sam and you're saying all right let's you know let's get another kick of the can here let's get this figured out. I don't think that Don. I don't know that. I don't know that Don is the guy that that you want to put in that spot because you're immediately heaping on a ton yeah. of everything onto his shoulders and say, "Okay, bud, let's go get it." I think that's a, that's a spot where you need somebody who's been through that rigor before. You know, whether it's a Gallant or, or a Boudreau, uh, you know, a Claude Julien, or I mean, Tort- I mean, Tortorella gets results. Just everybody, everybody ends up hating him after yeah. three years. Right. So you know, it's it, it's it's a whole different kind of thing. So that's where that's where a lot of this debate is is going to be so hard because you you almost have to figure out what you're doing with this team first before you pick pick a coach. 
Yeah, and, and the kind of last thing here, Joe, that, that maybe is the most interesting part to me, and, and I love this point that you're sort of making, and it reminds me a lot of the Bills at year 10 of their playoff drought, where they kept trying to push the envelope because they, they kept feeling the pressure of that drought. And, that, and I think mm-hmm. that the pressure of the drought forced them into making short-sighted, short-term decisions that ultimately kept piling on and creating that snowball effect. And you keep adding in pressure, poor short-term you know, moves as a franchise, and that's how a 10-year drought turns into a 17-year drought. And I wonder for the Sabres if we're almost at that point now where you're going to make a decision based on the pressure of, not, of no success for as long as they've been, and you're going to make a short-term decision that will ultimately keep snowballing this thing. So you know, how much does the pressure of this playoff streak or playoff list streak maybe play into the decision-making, whether or not that's, it should or should not be the case? It's, I mean, it's, it's got to be a a factor. I mean, I, I think it's going to be in their minds, anyways. I don't think that's that's the reason you make decisions, uh, because that's how you you keep looking for band aids on a on a gaping wound. I think that's that, that's what happens there. That's how you end up hiring, you know, the NHL's version of Rex Ryan when you've got when, when you've got Sean McDermott, you know, telling you know people telling you, hey, talk to this guy. And they're like, no, nah, Rex Ryan's really emphatic. We really like him. He painted his truck in the Bills colors. Let's let's get him. Oh, he'll bring his brother in too. It'll be great. You know, like that's that's where you run into like you run into a situation like that in you know the NHL where you're just kind of like, well, yeah, we've got this thing here, but we got to we we just got to reset the clock. Let's just get the playoffs, and, and then we'll figure it out after that. And then you end up hiring a coach that's gonna you know maybe he gets you there, but he burns you out really fast. And I know this sounds like I'm describing Tortorella, but it could be anybody. <laughs> um, but it's 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 something where you've got to like this. This is what I mean. We're figuring out what you're doing with your team, roster wise, is such a such an important thing here because you got to figure out how you want to go about it. And if if you decide that you just want to you just want to be you know be the eighth best best team in right. the East and get into the playoffs, then okay, you can you can find a coach that can coach guys up to do that. Uh, but if your goal really is to make a Stanley Cup and you want to do it. You know the most genuine way possible. Then you know you've got you've got some other options out there, and you've got to figure out who's the best fit. And they, you know, that's something where the ownership has really struggled with uh, in in getting things. Through. I mean, they struggled with a lot on the Saber side of things. It's not it's not it's not dance around it. They have, but uh, but figuring out who your guy is and how you want this team to be built to try to get you there. That's what they. That's what they're really staring themselves in the face with right now because this is this is going to be a huge summer for them and if they are making trades i mean yeah you got to make the right trades but if you're make, if you're if you're moving these guys out and you're going even more youth boy you you, you gotta i mean you gotta have the right coach no matter what but i think one the option you've got with don is going to help out a lot with steadying steadying that ship but i don't know if that's you know, if that's the right move, if you're saying no, we're our plan is to get back in the playoffs and win a Stanley Cup next year. I don't, I don't know how you do that with by by putting that on Don's shoulders. Yeah, man. You know, just get Taylor Hall. That means we're going for for a Stanley Cup. I guess that's what that means. Joe, appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for making time. A great conversation, and uh, look forward to, uh, to 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 kind of following along. And hopefully, very soon, I'm uh, I'm reading your work for some great hockey publication very soon. It would be awesome, Nate, but I appreciate your time, and it's always fun talking. 
Pleasure, Joe. Joe Yerdon there on our West Her Hotline. I'm going to take a timeout because Thad Brown of WROC-TV in Rochester joins me next. We're talking about Bill's schedule. That's all coming up here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Very appropriate uh, introduction music here for our next guest with some NFL Films music. Thad Brown of... Uh, I'm sorry, of WORC-TV in RochesterFirst.com. You probably know him best from his co-hosting duties on Buffalo Kickoff Live. Thad Brown joining me on the Wester Hotline this morning. Thad, first and foremost, early so far in the season, weather's finally turned. How's the golf game early in the spring? And are you expecting improvements? Or are you already sort of in your, sort of in your prime wheelhouse of, uh, of golf game already? I, had to, I just played on Thursday, and my round I think is exactly indicative of where I should be. I was fairly dialed in. I think I was, what, like 10 or 11 over through 16, and I played the back in two over through seven holes. Then Josh Reed, GD him, texted me, and we had a debate while I'm on the course, totally distracted me, I finished triple-double. And, uh, you know, so it shows, look, I'm right about there. I just can't, I just can't finish 18 holes just yet. I think next round will be, will be mid-season form. I have a new three-wood, mm. second year with new irons. The irons are dialed in, very happy with that. Still working out the three-wood kinks a little bit, but, uh, but I feel I'm, I'm appropriate where I should be. And the other thing, too, you know, the round I played this week was like sixth or seventh of the year. I'm sure you're way past that, but point being, it is mid-May. And I am, like, deep in the golf season already. There are years in Western New York where this is, like, round one yeah. or two. So wherever my golf game is, I could care less. I've played a half dozen times already, and that's already a win. Yeah, that's you're right. And and I think, too, I mean, it's been wet. For, but even for how wet it's been in the spring, there has still been, like, kind of ample opportunities to get out. I know I have a whole bunch and kind of powered through some of the some of the rain and precipitation. But, yeah, I mean, I and the thing now, Thad, too, is I think we're really going to benefit over the next, like, three, four, five weeks here from all this spring rain. Like, I haven't seen some of these courses as green as they are this time of year. Um, and, and like, it's really just – it's an exciting time to be a Western New York golfer for the things you're talking about. But also, I, I think, you know, sometimes – the rounds get pushed back in, in, in the beginning and end of April, but I think they're going to be, uh, the next couple of weeks with the weather we're looking at, I, I'm just excited to see some of the shape the, these courses in Western New York are going to be in, because right now they are pristine. Yeah, and it could be you know, 14, 16 straight weeks of hashtag elite you yes. know, golf course weather for Western New York, and you know, again, that is not something you get in this area, so I'm, I'm with you. I can't I cannot wait to, you know, be out. And you go, you know, I, I got to say this about Buffalo, too. I, 10, 15 years ago, you know, I looked at Buffalo as kind of like the, the junior golf partner in Western New York. Rochester is great, always has been, courses to play everywhere. I'm really impressed with the way Buffalo has kind of expanded a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's like now there's, you know, easily a half dozen places to play. I can't name them all, but I just know from talking yeah. to, to you guys, the Buffalo reporters, that but you want to play golf, we can go here or here or here yeah. or here or here. It's very impressive to see. You're definitely right about Rochester. And, you know, it's because we're so close, it's hard sometimes with as many public courses as there are now in Buffalo. And you're right. I, I still think, though, it's it's really hard to overlook Rochester and, and sort of the – very different type of public courses that you can get. You can go play a ton of elevation. You can go play somewhere really flat. You can play somewhere with value. You can play somewhere expensive. Rochester really does bring it in terms of like local Western New York golf. And I think a lot of times people in Buffalo, I don't. I don't think there's a lot of times where people are regularly driving sort of you know east to go do that. But I, like for me, 
there are some of the best courses in New York State, like right at home in Rochester. You're, you're definitely lucky in that spot. And, and you nailed it on the point of view that, you know, whatever you want to do here, you can do it. You want to go walk 18 for 20 bucks? There are good places you can do that where you feel like you've got your money worth. You want to go to a place where you're going to pay 70 for a round, you know, and uh, drive 18 holes and have GPS in the cart? You're going to feel like you, you got your money's worth out of that, too. And, and you know, the, the thing that I've always tried never to take for granted, especially I went to college four years in Long Island, and playing golf down there is a headache because if you don't make a tee time a full week out, you're, you're out. But, here, I mean, in Rochester, just about any time, you want to play you can find somewhere to go you know that you feel good about the money you spent thad brown here on the wester hotline uh you and i could probably talk a full hour on local golf but we'll we'll spare the listeners and we'll do it next time we get out on the golf course but um thad you know i I know you you covered this week too um some of the sabers uh press conferences so i wanted to quickly just touch on that before we kind of dive into the schedule and, and rookie minicamp and all that good stuff um overall you know, you've been around, I think, both organizations here for a while, um, been covering Buffalo sports and Buffalo pro sports for a while. Put into perspective sort of your overall, you, you had a couple of days to maybe pull away from hearing what you've heard from, you know, Eichel and Reinhardt and, and Adams and, and Granado and some of the young guys. Can you put into perspective a little bit of, of maybe some historical perspective for us of like where you are based on the things you've heard from these players on just the state of this organization and, and just how dire it might be? You know, I think they've heard a lot of conversation lately about, you know, the, the Sabres should keep finding new ways to, to create a new bottom. You know, where, where's, the, where's the bottom of the barrel? Well, we thought we were there last year, now we're there this year. And I feel like that's been the story for, for two or three seasons. And, and this week, with, with what Jack Eichel said, and I thought Kevin Adams handled his end of it, you know, fairly well. But you know, when you go back to what the tank season took out of Sabres fans and, and Sabres, you know, nation, for lack of a better term, and for it to, to come to a head this way, where it feels like, you know, Jack Eichel playing any more games in a Sabres uniform, and Jack Eichel ever playing a playoff game in a Sabres uniform would be an upset is about as disappointing a spot as I could ever remember. And I go back to, you know, um, when, when Drew and Breer walked away in the summer, you know, back-to-back or the same day free agent-wise, and, and we're at the same level. We're probably at a, a bit of a worse level, you know, in, in terms of the fact that at least Drew and Breer gave Sabres fans a couple long playoff runs. He got none of that out of Eichel. So the one thing I will say is that at least with Don Granato, there's a little bit of hope. Now, it easily could be fool's gold. You know, I mean, you've got a young coach, or I'm sorry, a new coach, who his bar is for him, and the bar was, you know, some of the worst hockey ever. So for him to look better relatively, it's almost impossible for him not to. But I kind of feel like that this this has to be rock bottom. There can't be a new one. Um, and, and at least from that point of view, I think Sabres fans can feel a minutia of positivity. But... You know, in terms of Sabres history, you know, that I've covered, you've got the playoff runs, you've got Drew Breer leaving, and you've got this. And and these are the three big moments, and obviously two of those are as terrible as it gets, and, and that's where we are right now, I think, when it comes to the Sabres. Yeah, Thad, I, I, I mean, I, I agree with you, too. And it's, it is, it's a shame to see an organization, you know, struggle to find its, its way, its path. And, like, I was just talking to Joe Yurden last, last segment, talking a little bit about this I think 
you can start to cross things over into the Bills' 17-year playoff drought and some of the short-sighted decision-making that organization continued to make just in order, to, just to break the drought. They weren't making decisions on the long-term health, the long-term success of their organization. They were making short-term decisions to just get them to 9-10 wins. And I think you can make a very good comparison to what the Sabres are doing right now. And how do you, as an organization, try to put aside the pressure of, you know, just making a playoff that, by the way, half the league, more than half the league makes the playoffs. And you can't make it in 11 consecutive seasons. That is a, a kind of pressure that's hard to describe and also kind of hard to factor in. Like, can you, if you're Terry and Kimpagula, if you're Kevin Adams, can you put aside, realistically, put aside the pressures of your organization missing a playoff for the 12th consecutive year if it means you're making the right long-term decisions for your organization? And how do you balance that? Yeah, I think it's actually a bit easier. I think it's actually a lot easier for the Sabres to do that than the Bills did for two reasons. Number one, when it comes to making the playoffs, in the NFL, you make the playoffs. Even if 14 teams make it to 12, which is what it was for the duration of the drought. You make the playoffs in the NFL, that's a bar. That's an accomplishment. You've got you know, easily 12 to 18 teams in the league this year who, if they made the playoffs, they'd be like, okay, you know what, that was a good year. Whereas in the NHL, or the NBA for that matter, I've never heard of a team that said, you know what, we made the playoffs, that's a good year. I mean, making the playoffs is just proving that you're competent. Making the playoffs is kind of where you're supposed to be. So for, for the, the drought to be an overriding thing um, for the Sabres, you know, I don't think that they're you know bent on, well, what do we have to do to make the playoffs? Because making the playoffs is almost nothing. Yeah, it would be nice to do that in Buffalo because then we don't have to talk about the drought anymore, but it really isn't, isn't a thing. And the other part of it is, too, with the Bills, when they were missing the playoffs, they weren't 2-14 and 14 every year. You know, there were some 7-9s. There was a 2004 run where they got close. You know, Rex went 9-7 one year. So, you know, they weren't like an, an abysmal train wreck that, you know, you almost feel sorry for as a professional sports franchise. Well, frankly, the Sabres are that. Yeah. And for, for them to, to put that aside, you, you almost have to. You know, like, to think, wow, we're one or two pieces away from making the playoffs. No, 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 no. You're like 17 things moves away from making the playoffs. So to, to feel any pressure about, well, you know, i got to worry about what our first-round draft pick is this year so we can make the playoffs. i got to worry about what I do with the Eichel and Reinhardt trades if I make them to make the playoffs. No, 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 no. You're starting from absolute ground zero. You know, you have nothing but, you know, dust and bailing wire in the organization right now, and you're just trying to build on that. So don't don't worry about will this get me to you know spot sixteen or spot four in my division next year? Just will this make me better than what I was last year? And if you stack enough of those moves together, then you get better. And you know I look at the way the Sabers and Bills have progressed since they got their centerpiece players. The Sabers got Jack Eichel and did almost everything wrong following. The Bills got Josh Allen and did almost everything right following that. And it shows that, yeah, you know, I had no problem with the tank. You know, I thought it was the right move. Look, if you're not going to win, then lose big so you can get the best players you can the next year. But you got to follow that up with, with quality roster development, and the Sabres have been just abysmal at it since. Yeah, I think it's a great comparison. It reminds me a lot of sort of what the Jets' failures have been over the last decade, which is drafting 100%. a young quarterback and doing literally nothing to surround him with the pieces and the coaching to 
sort of get the best out of him. And that's kind of what we're talking about. And, and I think it's just finding ways to extract the most out of the talent that you have in their team. And they just have failed miserably at that. Um, Thad, before I let you go, I do want to um, slip into some of the schedule talk with you. Um, and, and I kind of wanted your your overall thoughts on the Bills' schedule. I, I, I don't really subscribe to the the Bills have the 27th easiest schedule based on 2020 standings and playoff teams because just things change every year. And if you don't believe me, if you don't really buy into that, just think about what you thought about the schedule last year and you thought about that run of like San Francisco and, and, and sort of the middle of that schedule. Everyone's thinking San Francisco is one of the best teams in the league. And then by the time you get around to them in the schedule, they basically have the most injured players in the entire league, the most the most downs lost injury um, in football. And it's just a totally different schedule. And, and I look at this one, though, and I I do. I think the home schedule is really ripe for them to make a really good run at home. Um, I could see seven, eight wins at home late this year. Like I think it's very possible for this team. Uh, but overall, thoughts on the schedule? Thoughts on you know four primetime games? You know some people are upset that they only got one of those home. Um, but I think you obviously get the the Thanksgiving game. A lot to like. Anything you don't like about the schedule? Well, um, I'll start with uh, you know the, the home part of it, and and to you to make, kind of underscore two points you made there. The, the home opponents this year were not super. You know, after after Pittsburgh in the division, you know you, you got Carolina and Atlanta, and I mean there's just not a a group of teams there that you're overly impressed with. Um, you know who the Bills have at home, so that a like you said makes it a pretty opportune time for the Bills to win a bunch of games. But b you're not going to get a lot of prime time there. I was surprised that the Bills only got not only four prime time games, but only one at four four twenty five. So only one other national window game. You know, I really thought that this team would you know, come off an AFC championship with a fun wide open offense. You know, would would get a few more, not a ton more, but a few more. And I think. You know, for, for all the times that we've heard in the last couple of years about how the Bills are great ratings and have done these good numbers, I think what we've discovered is that before the Bills got good, there was a concern or a discussed concern, I don't know if there was a real concern, that because it's Buffalo and market 31 in the league, that they wouldn't go on prime time or wouldn't work on prime time because there's just not a big enough market behind it. I think we've discovered that, yeah. you know, Buffalo is fine in national windows. They may not be as great as maybe they've been paying. The Cowboys game was fantastic, but to be honest, last year the numbers were, were pretty average for the most part. So the, the Bills are fine on prime time. They're not going to, you know, get pushed off prime time because it's Buffalo, but, you know, it, it still is market 31. And even if coming off an AFC championship, you're not going to get you know ten four o'clock or ten combined four o'clock games and uh, and, and primetime games. The other thing you talked about with you know rating the schedule now, and I cannot agree more. And to underscore you know that point, the Bills in 2019 played five playoff teams. We went to last year thinking, wow, NFC West, you know, right. um, all the AFC West, all these teams. You know how many playoff teams they played last year? They played five again. You know, so we have no idea about the schedule. And and the one maybe, you know, bad break, I don't know how bad it is, but I thought catching the Jets both games in double-digit weeks, week 10 and week 18, might have been a little on the negative side because, you know, the Jets are so so far to go mm-hmm. and they're so far at the beginning of their rebuild. You know, I'd want to get them week two and week seven yeah. so that they're still kind of Agreed. figuring things out. You know, if they do put something together this year, and I don't know if they will, but it's possible, you know, week 10 and week 18, those are not going to be – now all of a sudden, if you just put something together, the Bills are going to have six, you know – I have to get up and pay attention in the morning AFC East games instead of a couple walkovers, which you could have had if you get the Jets earlier. So a little yeah. bit of a bad break from there, but but overall this is you know uh, this is a schedule I think the Bills can very work very well work into a, a number one seed, which you know you're not hearing it yet, but I guarantee when we get to camp 
the, the, the mantra from, from Orchard Park is going to be, we need a one seed, we got to win regular season games. And if they, they have an opportunity to get off to a pretty hot start, if they, if they beat Pittsburgh, three of the first four home, you know, you go to that Kansas City, Tennessee stretch, I think you got to beat the Chiefs if you want a one seed. But if you're, if you're five to one going to the bye with a win over the Chiefs, you know, you got a tough stretch week 11 to 14. But other than that, very, very workable. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think the only other thing I'll say, too, about the schedule that, that maybe I didn't love is I I didn't love getting basically the two Dolphins games in before Halloween. Um, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of getting the Dolphins here. I think it's I think it's just good football is getting the Dolphins here in December um, in the cold. Um, so not getting that I think was was a little was a little tough, and they're obviously going to be on the road in a hot hot Miami like they were last year as well. So we'll sort of see how that the the Dolphins matchup plays. I you know I I'm with you on the Jets as as well as sort of if they're they could be a, a potentially sneaky dangerous team, especially if they're eliminated from playoff contention later on in the season at come week 18. But they're playing good football. Um, you know that they can play spoiler um in weeks 10 or week weeks 18. So I, I'm with you on the Jets there um for sure. Thad, thank you so much. Brother, thank you for uh, hopping on with me. Uh, we'll definitely be in contact soon because we'll uh, we gotta hit the course with Sal so we can uh, we can show him up a little bit. <laughs> well, tenfold. Sal's game's going on, man. So I know. I can't, uh, can't just assume that. We gotta knock him down a peg. That's my point. We we because he's been talking a lot about it. He texts me. Oh, you know, just listen. You know, Sal. We gotta knock him down a peg, and I think I think we've got it in. So we'll 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 let him and John get together, or him and Josh, and we'll get a nice two man a uh, two man best ball situation, and we'll uh, we'll humble him a little bit. Well, yeah, I was about to say that that's just not fair. We can do that if they want to, but that, that's just not fair. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Thanks, Thad. Appreciate you, brother. Have a good, good weekend. Good talking, man. Yep, see you. Yep. All right, Thad Brown there of WROC-TV and RochesterFirst.com. He's the co-host of Buffalo Bills Kickoff Live. I'm Nate Geary. This is Sports Talk Saturday. going to take a timeout. Again, another timeout. And then noon hour, I've got Mike Tanier and Bruce Nolan. They're both coming up here on Sports Talk Saturday at WGR. Bringing the funk all morning and into the afternoon. That's what we do here on Sports Talk Saturday. A uh, quick little segment here, uh, just to preview next hour, Mike Tanier. Uh, he's going to join us here coming up shortly. Football Outsiders, New York Times, fan-sided, you know, you know the drill there. And then Bruce Nolan of uh, Buffalo Rumblings. Both going to join me here in consecutive segments. Going to talk a little national outlook, particularly Rodgers, Green Bay, what's going on there. Talk a little bit about the AFC East, and then we'll switch gears and, and kind of talk Bills with Bruce. So that's all coming up next. Next hour, don't go anywhere. Stick with us here on WGR.